Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of July 1st through July 7th. I'm your host Colin McIsaac and as always I'm joined by Alex Plant. If I were a Pokemon I'd have to say that again. <laughs> and Ben Lamoureux, that took me a second, Ben Lamoureux. If you were a Pokemon you'd be a grass type. <laughs> this week we've got a slew of news for you as usual we got a lot of discussion about nx some good nuggets on smash skylanders nintendo's merchandising plan and more uh we had planned a discussion segment after the break but that unfortunately fell through due to my uh brain <laughs> words colin can't say on the podcast uh, we're sorry about that so it's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode for you but next week, we are going to have Jaron Moore, the co-producer of Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions, here for you on this show. Uh, in the past, he's done The Legend of Zelda, Symphony of the Goddesses, uh, which I'm sure a lot of you have listened to and loved. And so that team is back with a Pokemon tour. It's got some of your favorite Pokemon music in this amazing orchestral rendition. It's like an 85-minute concert. It's, it's really amazing stuff. So he's going to be on the show. We're going to be talking to him about the symphony about you know some of the process behind it um it's gonna be really great so that is happening next week in the meantime we will start off this week with a couple of reports floating around about nx as always nothing is certain but we have heard two new tidbits from a few reliable sources this week so first digitimes reports that nx is set to begin production in october the report states that the initial orders will be finalized in february or march of 2016 and mass production will begin in may Nintendo reportedly wants to prepare 20 million units for 2016, with a launch possibly as early as next July. There are a few things to note in this report's favor. Um, first, Digitimes is a trustworthy, well-respected outlet in China, where it appears the production is taking place. And second, a 2016 launch isn't too far out of the question. It would put Wii U at a four-year lifespan and 3DS at five years, or 3DS at five years, I suppose. Uh, which really isn't too shabby for either of them, considering how far sales have declined for both systems in the last few years. Uh, and it would also explain both why Nintendo had such a poor lineup at E3 and why they were suddenly, just this year, so unwilling to show off games in their longer-term future. Now, to the report's discredit, however, they did say that NX was previously confirmed to launch in 2016, which is totally untrue. Yeah, all we know for sure is that we're going to get information about it in 2016, but not necessarily that it'll launch in 2016. Right, right. There are two interesting things about this to me, and one of them is that this would be a very un-Nintendo-like move, since typically they don't announce new hardware in the same year that they debut it. Uh, that's more of a move we've seen lately with Sony and Microsoft, both of whom launched their next or current-gen now consoles in 2013, the same year that they announced that they were... Well, we also saw it with the Sega Saturn in 83. Yeah, that worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that's the other side of it that interests me, because that would mean, if it's coming out in July, that would mean it's coming out right after E3 2016. And the only games that we know are coming out in 2016 so far are games that are releasing probably before E3 2016. So that makes me wonder, you know, following what you said earlier... Maybe they aren't showing Wii U games for next year because they're all going to be announced for NX. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm wondering. I mean, we know, like, for example, we know the Mario team is working on his next big adventure. Uh, we don't know at all what it's going to be, but we know that after 3D World, you know, they've said they're working on something. We've talked about how Zelda U might go cross-gen. Uh, we think it should. Um, there's got to be, you know, some stuff. And, you know, it's always possible this report is not true. But uh, if it is, I could actually imagine a scenario where Nintendo's saying, look, part of the reason that Wii U lost so much steam, and Miyamoto said this recently, we talked about it last episode, I believe, is that we came up with the concept of the tablet, 
And in the between that research and development phase and the time when it was actually on market, tablets exploded. And so all of a sudden, Wii U's appeal was just, you know, it sunk like a rock. And so I could imagine them saying, look, we have to reveal what NX is and then release it when people are still excited about it and still yeah. interested in this new hardware. Yeah. So there, there are two parts of this rumor that I find really hard to believe. And one is they just said like a week ago that they don't like releasing big things in the summer because nobody buys games in the summer. So I can't see them uh, launching new hardware in July. Well, they did say possibly as early. Right, right, right. I think 2016 is very possible. I think holiday 2016 could happen, but the as early as July part, I don't see. But the, the part I find even stranger than that is that they reportedly want to prepare 20 million units for the first year. And with the exception of Wii, no Nintendo console has ever come anywhere close to selling that in the first year. So unless they're somehow expecting to have the same kind of just, you know, incredible record-breaking start that Wii had, there's there's no reason they would do that. Because Wii U still hasn't even sold halfway to 20 million, and it's been out for like three years. So that would just be a huge investment on Nintendo's part to create 20 million pieces of hardware when, you know, there's there's absolutely no guarantee you're going to sell that. Well, I'll f- I'll flip that skepticism around and say they do tend to sell about 20 million units of hardware altogether when you combine their handheld and their console shipments. So it's possible, and I know a lot of people speculate about hybrid systems in the past, but it's possible that maybe rather than a hybrid system, NX is really just multiple form factor uh, all running on one platform, which is sort of a vision Awada's outlined in recent uh, pre- presentations to investors. Yeah, more more functioning like iOS than... right. Yeah, that's a good point. So rather than looking at like their console performance or their handheld performance individually, maybe NX is just going to absorb all of that. Yeah, and actually if you look at the first year sales of 3DS and the first year sales of Wii U combined, they're they're pretty much 20 million on the nose actually. Yeah, so one thing I want to say about rumors and reports generally speaking cuz I know I'm sure we have a few listeners go like rolling their eyes and saying, "Oh, why are they talking about this?" Uh, but I know many people have a tendency to discredit rumors or reports entirely based on one inconsistency or one false assumption that the report makes. Uh, but that kind of dismissiveness is just not how we should treat this stuff. Um, skepticism is healthy, of course, absolutely. But it's also important to recognize what parts of a report have merit and which ones are a little less reliable. Um, there's a classic parable from Othello where the senators of Venice are hearing reports of a fleet approaching Venice. One report says there are 107 ships, another says 140, and another says 200. And the Duke says to all these guys, well, hold on, just because we've got conflicting reports about the numbers doesn't mean there's not a giant military coming right for us. You know, we need to prepare for this. So if you're listening, I mean, don't discredit this report or others based on like a couple of little inconsistencies because the heart of the information may very well be realistic. And it's also very possible that this could be total garbage, but (laughs) we, we don't know. Yeah, sometimes you get the uh, the telephone game effect where you start with a true message and then it gets passed on to one person and they kind of put their spin on it and pass it on to the next person. So by the time you get to the end, there are some untrue parts to the report, but the, the core of it could be true and it very much couldn't be as well, as Colin said. According to Tamaki, one of the guys behind Unseen 64, which they reveal a lot of unconfirmed information before it's officially announced. Um, they get their hands on all kinds of scrapped game content. They're actually the guys who revealed that 3DS Metroid game that Next Level Games tried to make. But he said that NX is not trying to compete with current-gen consoles as far as their specs go. He says, quote, 
The NX is definitely not aiming to compete with the likes of PS4 on a power level. Absolutely sure of that now. Yeah, honestly, I think anyone who was expecting it to was not really in touch with reality. Because uh, <laughs> that would put this NX in a price tier that Nintendo just doesn't doesn't belong in, frankly. They don't even belong in the price tier they're at with Wii U. Uh, as Judging by the sales, judging by people's reaction to the price when it was announced, um, it's just... It's just not a good idea. Well, some people have pointed out that this could mean that NX is leagues more powerful than the PS4 and Xbox One. But, I mean, at that point, I feel like that's just fooling yourselves. Um, that's even more of a pipe for you. Yeah. And Nintendo's only attempt to be the most powerful console in the market was the GameCube, which a lot of people don't realize because the GameCube was awesome. But they don't realize it was a market failure. Um, they got wrecked so bad that generation that Microsoft didn't even consider them a part of the console race when they were preparing for 360, when Sony was getting PS3 ready. Which I find hysterical because Microsoft's first Xbox sold about as much as the GameCube. <laughs> and mostly, mostly just in America. Uh, but every other console they've made, they've focused on lower-end, more affordable technology and then making up for that by having the best exclusive software. Yeah, so. aside from that just not making sense from a historical perspective, Samaki, his his job basically is taking this hidden data and making it public. He's not attempting to speak in riddles. He's attempting right. you know, to, to explain things. So if he wanted to say NX is way more powerful than a PS4, he would have said, holy <laughs> NX is way more powerful than a PS4. He would not say it's not trying to compete with PS4. I mean, this is Occam's razor here. The simplest answer is the correct one in this case. <laughs> right. So I imagine what's happening here is that Tamaki has in some way seen the hardware that Nintendo's planning to use, and then he's drawing the conclusion, you know, there is no way that they're trying to compete with Sony and Microsoft if these are their tech specs. Which also means if they're so underpowered that he says there's no way they're trying to compete, that does lend credence to the idea that's been circling around for a little while that NX is going to be some sort of hybrid between their handheld and their home consoles. Because, you know, the, that sort of tech is nowhere near the level where it would be at a reasonable consumer price point, you know, if it's going to be this hybrid system that's actually going to look even remotely okay on a television. It, it, it would make more sense that the specs are more like the Wii U than uh, something closer to PS4 level. Now, when you say uh, seen the hardware, you don't mean physical. You just mean he's like no, uh, perused I, yes, like the specs list. Some, okay. I don't... Right, yeah, he was he was asked a little about that. Someone asked him on Twitter, what makes you say that? And he just said, talking to the right people with a smiley face. So yeah, he apparently yeah. has some inside source. Right, right. Well, this follows on to what we heard uh, last week about how third parties apparently uh, had seen something about NX at E3, uh, mm-hmm. in which case he would have a source. Iwata says that Nintendo won't stop making 3DS and Wii U games when NX comes out. He says it would be inefficient, uh, given that this hardware already has players where NX would have an install base of zero out of the gate. What's harder to figure out is whether this is just corporate speak to save face that Wii U and or 3DS will be left behind, or whether NX will really be more of a companion system to these consoles for its first year or two. Um, It is important to note that he does seem to suggest that they'd even continue making new games from scratch for Wii U and 3DS, rather than just finishing projects that have already been greenlit which would sort of suggest that it will be a companion console. I I would definitely expect them to continue 3DS support, at least for a while. But when he mentions the whole, you know, starting your install base from zero thing, Wii U's install base is only 9 million, and a healthy console, you know, should be able to sell that in a year. And, you know, I'm not necessarily saying NX will, but in terms of replacing Wii U... 
PS4 did that in like four months. Yeah, I don't think we use install base is that big of a thing. But 3DS, on the other hand, has a 50 million install base, which is low for a Nintendo handheld, but that's still an install base of 50 million. And, you know, last generation, you saw with the Wii, it barely got any first-party support for its last year and a half, and then it it basically didn't get any as soon as Wii U launched. So I imagine uh, Wii U support after NX launch probably won't be much better, but DS saw a solid year and a half to two years of getting some first-party games, getting some big third-party games like new Pokemon games and things like that. So I imagine 3DS will get at least a year of of solid support, assuming NX is, you know, a, a sort of hybrid that can replace both a console and a handheld. Yeah, I mean, because what else are they going to do with that Pokemon Yellow remake next year? <laughs> so if they do intend this, like, NX to be sort of a, you know, a companion console, uh... Not so much like, Ben, you were talking about the 3DS, um, but like Wii U. Iwata specifically said that he wants to make sure that the people who did buy Wii U are really happy with the system by the time that it's sort of put out to pasture. Which does seem like they are intending not to cut all development resources for it. And if they do intend the NX to be a companion console for Wii U and 3DS rather than a replacement for Wii U specifically, um, I think that is a big mistake. I am very much of the mindset that they need to just give up on Wii U because their efforts are honestly just better spent building up something better. Like we said, PS4 eclipsed Wii U sales in four months. There's like If Nintendo puts out a good console that people are interested in buying, they can easily replace that. So, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Here on this podcast, uh, Wii U has the best software lineup of any console ever. I really believe that. But people Certainly just- first party. Yeah, but people just don't want Wii U. You can look at sales data, you can look at market research. It started out with no momentum in 2012, and since then it's gone far downhill and it's only gone downhill. If they want the gaming industry to take them seriously, they're going to have to move on, and they're going to have to make a console that better fits people's expectations, not that further defies them. I'm all for Nintendo continuing to do the inventive, unique, and wonderful stuff that they do, because they really do amazing things, but they need to do it in the context of a platform that actually appeals to broader gaming audiences, and not just the couple million Nintendo fans who are going to buy their stuff anyway. Um, I have a slightly different take on how they should respond to Wii U's performance. So actually, if you look at the yearly sales data, it actually has barely, but it has improved each year sales-wise since... Uh, I mean, not obviously not hasn't hit the holiday highs, but 2014 was better than 2013. 2015 so far is shaping up to be largely better than 2014. Uh, I mean, it's not going to have a Mario Kart to give it huge momentum. Uh, but I think what Nintendo's thinking with not cutting all support for Wii U immediately when NX comes out is they're finally getting to the point where not all their games are games that began their life on Wii. For example, Pikmin 3, uh, Star Fox Zero will be out by the end of the year, and we all know that was a game that started on Wii. All the stuff that's coming in 2016, like Zelda, uh, maybe even the Fire Emblem crossover, all that stuff is stuff that was built from the ground up for Wii U using as much of the system resources it seems like as they can squeeze out of it that's the kind of stuff that nintendo fans just haven't seen nintendo fans haven't seen games that are that impressive that take that strong advantage of the wii u hardware and you know iwata said in the past uh one of their goals with nx is to absorb the wii u architecture and to get rid of the inefficiencies 
in software development that plagued uh, porting stuff between uh, Wii and 3DS, uh, 3DS and Wii U. So I think his choice of words when he says it would be inefficient to stop Wii U software development are kind of a clue that perhaps the first crop of NX games are really just going to be Wii U cross-gen games. Yeah, I actually was thinking something along the same lines. Uh, Colin, you mentioned that maybe, or it might have been you, Alex, that uh, maybe the reason why we didn't see a lot of Wii U games announced at E3 is because they're switching over to NX. And I think it would be beneficial to kind of go the route of a lot of third-party companies where for you know the first few months or maybe in a year or so, you release the games across generations. You take some of these late-life Wii U games and maybe throw on some additional features. You give them a little bit of a tune-up and put them on NX, but also have them on Wii U so that you can accomplish that goal Iwata said of basically uh, not pissing off your Wii U fans that spent, like, you know, $350 on it at launch and then didn't get as many games or as long of a life cycle as right. they thought it would. No, I am absolutely all for that. I just, I'm I'm concerned if they're trying to uh, put up, put out a console that is radically different from their other offerings, and saying, "Look, it's not replacing these guys. It's just going to be another system that you want to buy." Right. Um, I, what I think they need to do is is put out a new console that does ultimately replace Wii U, even if it doesn't do that in the first year or two. Well, and I'm sure like PS4 has replaced PS3 absolutely at this mm-hmm. point. It'll right. probably get to the point where it it they start leapfrogging beyond anything they could have accomplished on Wii U. And start getting into the truly powerful, truly next-generation Nintendo games. Uh, but, right. you know, watching how they started off with Wii U, I don't think that they'll build that momentum up very quickly. And so I think, you know, this would be a good strategy not only to keep Wii U alive, but to give them software that will actually come out in a timely manner on NX and actually be mm-hmm. worthwhile. Because, like I said, uh, we haven't seen the truly ambitious titles on Wii U for the most part. I mean, we had Smash and we had... Splatoon and we had Mario Kart, but like most of this other stuff that's coming out is very low ambition. Nintendo recently announced a partnership with Activision to include Bowser and Donkey Kong in Skylanders, but they've actually been discussing a crossover for years. Activision came to Nintendo when Skylanders' first game was in development, seeking help with the game's family fun angle. Nintendo felt like the gimmicks in previous Skylanders game, like the Swap Force and the Trap Team stuff, they felt that those gimmicks didn't fit with their established characters, but this time around, when the, the focus of the game is these vehicles, they think that this fits their characters a lot better. And since Nintendo unveiled Amiibo last year, then the companies began seriously discussing what a collaboration might look like, what guest appearances might look like, and how they could integrate these two toys-to-life ideas. And obviously the result is this turbocharged Donkey Kong and Hammerslam Bowser. Yeah, I have some mixed feeling about this, because... I understand Iwata's points that, you know, they don't want to compromise the IP by changing them to fit someone else's game. They, you know, want to put it in a game where it fits already. But at the same time, I think it could have been very beneficial for Nintendo to have their characters in Skylanders early on. Because this is a franchise that just exploded and was churning out like a billion dollars a year in revenue. You know, it was it was everywhere. And now, it's still a very popular series. It's still, you know, one of the top-selling franchises each year. But it's it's definitely peaked and is declining a little there. bit. Exactly. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, the Skylander series kicked off right around the same time or a little bit before Wii U came out. And I think it would have been really good to help draw a younger crowd to Wii U if Nintendo had found some way to work with Activision earlier. Yeah. Well, especially because the first game, the point of the first game was just Skylanders. It wasn't... You know, there weren't these gimmicks that they have to get kids to keep buying these new figures and stuff. It was just, you know, the very basic game. And in that kind of game, like, Bowser and Donkey Kong would have worked great. Uh, Whereas now, though, you, like, you kind of, I feel like you kind of were touching on this point. 
but didn't quite get there in the way that I, you know I'm seeing it. Whereas now it feels kind of like Nintendo is sort of reaching out and saying almost desperately, not quite desperately, but almost. You really saying, mean desperately? Hey, like, we really want to get in. <laughs> well, that kind of do. Um, you know, saying, "Hey, we want to get in on this. Like, let's let's team up with Skylanders." Whereas you know, before if they had teamed up, it would have been you know a, a sign that. We believe in this franchise. This is something that has big potential, and we think that you know, including our characters in this, we can we can get a piece of the pie without actually you know making it look like it's a desperate push to stay relevant for either for Skylanders or for Nintendo. Because I feel like in some way it also feels like Skylanders is 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 floundering uh, when they when they do something like this. Yeah, with the first Skylanders game, you know, they they didn't have full confidence in the IP. They had to slap the Spyro name on top of it. To see yeah. if it would sell, and then they, you know, quickly dropped that out of prominence. And you know, the, I think having Nintendo IP in the first game would have been much bigger for promotion than being able to say, "Hey, Spyro, you guys, you guys remember Spyro, right? But buy this game because of Spyro." Well, not only right, that, but having right. Spyro alongside Nintendo franchises would have been an even more symbolically significant move. Yeah, I think what intrigues me most about some of the stuff we've been saying is that, you know, I think we would all agree that Nintendo shouldn't be waiting on what they perceive as good opportunities for third-party partnerships, they should be actively seeking these out and actively working on them. And creating them. Right. Yeah, creating them before they see these opportunities that have basically already mm-hmm. passed by the time they actually jump right. on them. Uh, that's one thing that Sony and Microsoft, and Sony in particular, I feel, has been doing really well lately is they've been really courting a lot of these, I wouldn't say, I won't say smaller projects, but like interesting projects uh, like Sony with No Man's Sky Microsoft had uh, Ori in the Blind Forest, which was an interesting departure from the kind of stuff they normally do. Uh, and Nintendo's been more conservative about stuff like that. They've partnered mostly with Japanese companies, mostly with established franchises from Japanese companies. So it'd be it'd be nice to see them play more in the Western third-party new IP space. Especially uh, considering how quickly Japan's market is shrinking. And, you know, it, it becomes less and less relevant to cater to the Japanese market each year. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but especially looking at their history, working with Rare, for example, uh, on and not only yeah. Donkey Kong, but Rare's own homegrown IP. GoldenEye, Jet Force, Gemini, I mean, Mortal Kombat, I mean, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, Killer Instinct. Banjo-Kazooie. And now, now you're seeing the same thing with Retro. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I hope we see more of this in the future, but I hope it doesn't take this long to come to fruition. Miiverse is getting an overhaul this summer, including a new layout and new features like a screenshot album, which stores up to 100 screenshots for your private viewing, and Play Journal, which is replacing the activity feed. Exactly how it will work out is a little unclear still, as it sounds like this is a radical change to the way that people have been interacting with Miiverse, especially with the activity feed being replaced by the Play Journal. Um, so I guess we'll find out more when the update comes. Yeah, what I kind of have to speculate here is if uh, DNA is involved with this at all. I can't imagine they're not. Yeah, because they'll be setting up, you know, Nintendo's new membership program and everything, and Nintendo's trying to get more connected. They want you to think of Nintendo as a platform and not, you know, Wii U and 3DS's platform. So. Right, and we know Miiverse is coming to mobile phones, mm-hmm. and I noticed this does look a, a lot more like... A layout of a of an app rather than a you know a social network service built around Wii U, and so I think I think part of these these features are geared towards making Miiverse more accessible for smartphone users. Yeah, so Nintendo's uh, new membership program is aimed to launch in the fall, so it makes sense to start overhauling their established online services now in the summer to prepare for that. Uh, what excites me most, I think, is that 
I feel like Miiverse originally just looked like a Twitter feed, <laughs> and I feel like now it's going to be much more visually distinct, organized in a much more game-oriented way with the play journal versus the activity feed. Uh, and so I'm really excited to see those things kind of take shape and evolve uh, further beyond some of the features we've already heard about. Because uh, that's been the most disappointing thing for me with Miiverse is that it's it doesn't feel particularly special outside of the drawing capabilities. We recently got a look at some of the content that was cut from the two new Smash Bros. games. We'll give you a couple highlights here in the podcast, uh, just, you know, for the sake of time. But if you're interested in learning everything, you can check out the story at Gamnesia. Uh, we've got slides translated from Sakurai's presentation. Um, really cool stuff. you got some visual, visual images to go along with it. Olimar and Alf were originally going to have rock Pikmin, but they were cut likely for time constraints. Smash Run was originally going to have a co-op mode for local multiplayer. And Sakurai wanted to have special rules for 4v4 matches in 8-player Smash, much like the light versus dark matches multiplayer from Kid Icarus Uprising, which is the last game he worked on. That actually sounds a lot more appealing than, you know, Smash Run and Smash Tour, where yeah. you have this sort of half-baked yeah. game added in. Uh, I'd rather have mm -hmm. really cool, interesting, chaotic rule sets uh, that are just layered on top of the normal gameplay. Um so I'm kind of sad that that didn't pan out. Because I really, really liked yeah, the, the light versus dark matches in Kid Icarus Uprising. It was a good, yeah. good complement to sort of gathering those the more powerful equipment from the single player and then having something kind of interesting to do with them besides go through the same levels over and over again. And I really liked like Smash Run, for example, but I always thought that it would be so much more fun if you could do it with somebody else. Not, you know, just going at it on your own for five minutes and then coming together in the local multiplayer to see your results but, you know, actually do the smash run part of it in the local multiplayer. Yeah. Sakurai's also revealed that he wanted the subspace emissary mode in Super Smash Bros. Brawl to be developed by an outside studio. He was concerned that he and his team needed to focus on the characters themselves so that each would get the love that they deserve. Uh, in the end, it didn't work out, and the internal team made the core game and the grand adventure mode uh, at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's a little disappointing because we, you know, don't get to see what could have been, but at the same time... I would rather it be the way it was than to have an external team come in and then, you know, not gel particularly well with Nintendo and the or the IP or just, you know, not handle it well. So it would have been nice to see what they came up with. But um, if it hadn't turned out the way people thought, then there would have been outrage that yeah. Nintendo turned Smash over to an outside developer. I am partially with you on that. But part of me also kind of wishes it had panned out because I know, I mean... We know the game was horribly unbalanced. Uh, Meta Knight was game-breakingly overpowered, and Ganondorf was game-breakingly underpowered, and the whole spectrum of balance for characters was just all sorts of wonky. So I wonder if this has something to do with that. Um, and I wonder also, you know, we, we've heard about, like, the Forbidden Seven, that, you know, the, these characters that were cut from Brawl uh, who were meant to be there, but, you know, due to time constraints or other various reasons, maybe, uh, we, don't, we don't know anything about why they were cut. We just know that they were. Uh, like Mewtwo and, and Roy were there, uh, Tetra, Dixie Kong, uh, a Plusle and Minan tag team. So maybe having to make that subspace emissary themselves is why some of these cool character ideas couldn't be finished and put into the final game. At the same time, though, you know, Brawl had the, a decently long development cycle, whereas the game immediately before it, the game that everyone loves, Melee, was developed relatively quickly, and yet it added, like, tons and tons of characters and tons and tons of stages. You know? Well, to be fair... Five of the, like, 11 characters that they added were just clones added in the last, like, month. Yeah, true. Um, I Actually, I wonder, you brought up a good point, though. 
Brawl did have a long development cycle. I wonder if some of those delays were because they had to develop the subspace emissary themselves and, you know, weren't prepared for how much of an investment that was Yeah, that's be. definitely possible. Uh, and plus they packed in so much music, I can't imagine that they were able to just work out all those deals quickly. Like, there's just a lot of stuff that they did yeah. to Brawl. I don't mean to discount that. Well, but, I mean, I don't think that would have changed the development at all because then they would have just cut out the music. Yeah, I guess so. You may have noticed that Nintendo doesn't have any first-party games coming out this summer, or any summer for nearly 10 years. Nintendo's Charlie Shibeta, uh, I hope I pronounced that right, Charlie, I'm sorry if you're listening, uh, explained that this trend, uh, he, he says that people just don't buy Nintendo games in the summer, really. Uh, he says graduation is a key time for them, which is why we often get big games like Mario Kart or Splatoon in uh, late May or early June. But they do about 60% of their business in the last few months of the year. He explained pretty succinctly, you want to launch games when people are in the mood to buy. Um, I'm going to call BS because one of the <laughs> biggest games of last generation, which was Wii Sports Resort, launched in July and sold 1 million units in the United States, Japan, and Europe, each individually within the first month. There's no way that's true. No way. You just have to release heavy-hitting games in the summer, which you don't have. Yeah, and, and even if sales are lower in the summer, which, like, you know, Colin, you said, I'm sure they've done research that shows that, I don't think that means you can just completely ignore it, because uh, January and February are typically pretty low sales months as well, and I don't think you can just look at a month and say, oh, well, sales are usually down in this month, so let's just not release anything. In the, or right. you're throwing away right. half the year at that point. And, like, uh, Yoshi's Willy World, that's already out in Europe, correct? That might be why they're not releasing it now. Which, that's... Come on! Yeah, the, well, that's that's what I'm thinking, is that, you know, they have a game that's good to go, and they're specifically delaying it when, you know, people could be going out and buying it in the summer. And, you know, I understand they think maybe it'll hurt sales, but with, you know, you release it in summer, you get some sales going now, and then just run some commercials in the fall if you want to, yeah. you know, spike yeah. up sales again. Especially, I mean, it's so frustrating because, like, summer's when kids are out of school and people have a lot more free time. You know, they're looking for things to do. And a big game release or two, you'd think that would be perfect. Well, especially a game like Yoshi's Woolly World, which is aimed at children. Yeah, right. And instead it's coming out during the school year. Yeah. And then you look at things like Steam Summer Sales, which are wildly successful, and I've got to wonder why they don't at least try to experiment with something like that. You know, if not releasing games, then discounting them so that you at least get more people buying games than you otherwise would. Like Yoshi's Woolly World is another great example of that. They could release it in the summer for, you know, all these kids that they're trying to get to buy games, and then in the fall run commercials and discount it for, you know, 10 or $15 off so that there's another little surge of people who are buying it in the fall. I was, uh, I was a little confused a couple months ago when Nintendo was running these commercials for you should buy new Nintendo 3DS this summer. And the games that they were using to pitch new Nintendo 3DS as the hot summer device were like New Super Mario Bros. 2, Mario Kart 7, and Animal Crossing New Leaf, <laughs> which are these games that came out so long ago. Yeah, yeah. Iwata was asked by an investor why Nintendo sells their digital games for the same price as they're offered at retail and why they rarely offer discounts or sales on the eShop. Iwata responded by saying that Nintendo cherishes its software and believes digital and physical games have the same value. He acknowledges that to many, a digital game has less value than a physical one because it can't be resold, it can't be borrowed or lent to friends, uh, or that you might want to admire it on the shelf. But he ends by saying that this is something they're thinking about when they're developing their new loyalty program that's going to replace Club Nintendo in the fall. So, um, I, I don't really know that, well, we really cherish our software, is, um, 
is what should be your opening explanation for why it's okay to charge more <laughs> digitally than physically. Yes, they cherish think... the money they make off of their software. <laughs> I think every company cherishes their software. It has sentimental value to us. We don't want to part with this copy of it yet. This digital copy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been reading a lot on digital distribution lately and how really the big value of digital distribution is that distribution becomes effectively free and that very few companies, at least established companies, are really taking advantage of this value by creating new opportunities for consumers to actually use their products and nintendo definitely falls in that category uh one of the things that i was hoping for most when uh wii u announced that it would have this digital push was that it would be an opportunity first of all for wii u games in general to be cheaper because you know when you're making more profit off of your digital games your retail games themselves don't even need to be as expensive uh, but also, you know, I like the idea that digital games would cost less because I have to, for example, buy an extra hard drive to store them because you <laughs> only have 32 gigs of, of space on your system. So I was hoping that they'd be more sensitive to the, the changes that are coming with digital. But of course, this is Nintendo that we're talking about, and they're just now getting into all this stuff. And so I don't know. Nintendo has not traditionally been sensitive to change. No. Uh, and I'm hoping their their deal with DNA sort of gives them more incentive to be responsive mm-hmm. to these changes. Right. And I think it sounds like it will. Uh, you know, the, the Iwata specifically talked about their loyalty program, and they're trying to address issues like these with that. So Yeah, and with them partnering with DNA, which is a company that, you know, is entirely digital distribution, hopefully that rubs off on them some of those. Not the, you know, free-to-play model that DNA employs with a lot of the games, just, just <laughs> gaining a better understanding of the digital marketplace, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side, I can sort of I'm sort of sensitive to the idea that well, what we're really selling is the game. We're not selling a piece of media. I mean, they are selling a piece of media, but the, for the consumer, that's not what they're consuming. They're consuming a game. They're right. consuming an experience, right. and that experience has whatever value it has. Uh, maybe they're overvaluing it. Maybe not. Only the consumers can make that call, though. Nintendo. I mean, they can do their best to guess what what the value should be, but 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 I can see why uh why they they have that philosophy because super mario brothers 3 after all is still a really great game it just because it's old just because it's nes just because it's digital doesn't necessarily mean it should be knocked down to the like ridiculous one dollar price point that people seem to want to pay right well i don't think that was so much what he was talking about what he was talking about is like current modern you know wii u well i i I say super mario brothers 3 because it's a great example of a great game that doesn't deserve to be knocked down in value (laughs) i see Yeah, yeah yeah And as we wrap up this talking point, um, I just want to add that if you are interested in learning more about the subject of eShop prices, Ben here wrote a wonderful editorial in response to this news uh, about why Nintendo needs to make their digital storefront more affordable. And another Gamnesia writer, Nicola, wrote one about GameStop's unexpected influence in keeping Nintendo's eShop prices, um, you know, the same price as they are at retail. So if you're interested, check those out. Uh, Good stuff. A shareholder asked Iwata about Nintendo's E3 showing, saying they had very few software titles. Iwata mentioned that a lot of the games at other booths were only available in video form and not as playable demos. He then said, Unlike the other booths in general, most of the visitors to our booth were smiling and actually picking up the controllers and playing with our games. He's laying down that sass. Yeah, so we were all on the E3 show floor, and there's some truth and a lot of distruth to this. Because, yes, uh, a lot of the, the other booths had, had a lot of big games that weren't playable. Instead, what you would do is you'd wait in the line, 
and then you can get in. But instead of like in previous years where you just watch a pre-prepared video, you'd actually watch the directors of the games play the game live for you and explain what was happening, what was going on. But um, I, I don't think it's correct to say that Nintendo had more people playing games necessarily at their booth because uh, Nintendo definitely had more first-party games by far. But when you count third parties and indies, Sony and Microsoft each had more games than Nintendo and more game stations because Nintendo had a huge chunk of their floor just get dedicated to the treehouse, which meant less game stations and longer lines. Yeah, right. And finally, uh, the last talking point for the day, Iwata has explained why you aren't seeing Nintendo merchandise on every store shelf. And what what Iwata says is only a handful of characters can last for one or two or three decades. Nintendo's IP strategy is based on a long-term perspective where we can continue to enhance our characters, worlds, and settings for years. We have already announced that we would more actively utilize our IP, but not in the way that we increase the number of licensing partners as much as possible. Instead, we will proactively try anything that will enhance the value of our IP. We believe that it is not worth attempting initiatives that produce short-term profits at the expense of long-term detrimental effects on our IP. And basically what this boils down to is, yeah, we're looking at doing merchandise, maybe t-shirts, stuffed animals and stuff, but we don't want to flood the markets like they did with Angry Birds or like they're doing with Minions. Because in 2015, no one wears Angry Birds shirts. (laughs) I think he had also said something like they don't want a lot of unsold merchandise just sitting on store shelves because that creates Mm -hmm. the impression that Nintendo stuff just isn't desirable enough to sell. Um, So I... Yeah, he's he's got the right idea. You don't want to over merchandise. Yeah. yeah, it's just another example of quantity over quality. Or I'm sorry, quality over quantity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is an example of he's saying, you know, we don't want quantity right. over quality because these other companies have done that and they've clearly failed. You know, they made amazing brands for one or two years, but now, I mean, Rovio's dream of making Angry Birds Disneyland, like, no, not happening. Yeah, so at the end of the so. day, they, they can't be concerned just about the, the profits they make off of their IP, but also the brand recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as always, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we are bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at gamnesia.com. So if you're listening to this podcast on the site, just check out the links down below right here on this very page. Um, And if you're listening on iTunes, head on over to Gamnesia, check out the scrolling feature bar there at the top of the the homepage, and click on Nintendo Week Episode 20. The stories will all be listed there nice and easy for you uh, right there. So we've got some upcoming dates to look out for. Uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is available now on the Wii U Virtual Console, and two new Splatoon weapons launched last night. July 10th, Japan is getting a 24-hour livestream of Pokemon Super Mystery Dungeon. That starts at 7 a.m. EST. July 16th, Pokémon Tournament starts rolling out in Japanese arcades. And December 12th, Project X-Zone Cross Zone 2 releases in Japan. Unfortunately, though, it's been delayed till 2016 in the West. This Thursday, July 9th, the Pokémon Symphonic Evolutions Tour is heading to San Diego for the Comic-Con. They'll be right outside the convention center, so be sure to get your tickets. It's an amazing, amazing show. Um, Or if you can't make it to that and you still want to go in California, then you can check it out on July 11th in the L.A. Greek Theater, a wonderful outdoor venue, or San Jose on July 12th, which is going to be outdoors uh, right on the waterfront. You'll be able to see sailboats. It's going to be beautiful so uh if you're interested in pokemon music this is the ultimate way to experience that and then we've got a few general facts from last week and reminders for you 
We've got more info on the bisexual characters in Fire Emblem Fates, uh, the characters themselves, how the marriage mechanics will work for them, you know, as far as actually playing as them in-game goes. Fire Emblem Fates is already the fourth highest selling game in this series in Japan, and both versions of Fire Emblem Fates are now available for pre-order. The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes will have an online multiplayer battle mode. The game will also let you craft outfits with collectible materials, and we've gotten some new info on how matchmaking will work. Also in Zelda news, a new Zelda manga will be released later this year, and an instructable has surfaced teaching you how you can create your very own arcade cabinet for The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time or other Nintendo 64 games. Uh, really, really cool stuff if you're a DIY kind of person. Now, Dragon Quest VIII on 3DS features a new dungeon and boss. Square Enix is thinking about localizing Dragon Quest VII and VIII, uh, the remakes on 3DS, and the director also let it slip accidentally that the games are coming to France, so do keep an eye on localization news because it seems pretty likely that uh, we'll hear more soon. The opening cinematic from Pokémon Tournament was released this week. It's awesome. It sort of reminds you of a real-life Pokémon paddle, uh, if they were real. <laughs> Weavile and Charizard are playable in Pokémon Tournament, and we've got awesome trailers and screenshots of both of those characters in action. Nintendo breaks down Splatoon's weapons in a series of analysis videos, so if you're interested in Splatoon, you can check those out. Splatoon's developers are thinking about raising the level cap. Splatoon's producer wants to hold Splatfests about every three weeks. Splatoon's developers limited Inkling customization so that they could establish the Inklings as new characters rather than avatars. And Splatoon is already the highest selling eShop game of all time in Japan. And we know that Nintendo did not expect Splatoon to sell as well as it did. So great success. Uh, Q2005 Borat reference. <laughs> you can report inappropriate content in Super Mario Maker, so there's not going to be like a filter, uh, but you know, if, if you see that someone has, has made inappropriate stuff, you can report it to Nintendo. The makers of Animal Crossing are, quote, always thinking about what to do for the next game. Shovel Knight is getting a physical release on Wii U and 3DS in October. Zero Escape 3 has been announced. It's coming to 3DS next summer. Story details and artwork have also been revealed, so you can check that out if you're a Zero Escape fan. Microsoft completely discounted Nintendo after the GameCube and its market failure. We talked about this earlier in the podcast, but uh, that's also news in the lightning round. Sega will announce plans for Sonic's 25th anniversary early next year. Nintendo is revealing new Amiibo cards every day on their Japanese website, so you can check out the link below if you're listening to us on the site uh, to get to the Japanese website. If you're listening on iTunes, again, you can head to Gamnesia and check it out. Nintendo 3DS made up 54% of all dedicated gaming hardware sales in Japan last year. It is good news, but don't get too happy with that number because the home console market is just in the gutter over there. A new Amiibo companion app for Android tracks which ones you own, uh, it unlocks wallpapers, sounds, and more, so check that out if you're an Android owner and an Amiibo fan, it's a great companion app. Nintendo received many third-party partnership proposals at E3, so I guess we'll hear more about those later. And a rare prototype has been found of the never-released Nintendo PlayStation uh, back from the early 90s when Nintendo and Sony were collaborating on a Super Nintendo uh, CD add-on that was going to be the PlayStation. Uh, ultimately, of course, they split off. Partnership didn't work. And thanks to that not working, we got the greatest console of all time, the Philips CDI. <laughs> uh, My boy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and for the final lightning round story, Ben here has also written a great editorial about why Miyamoto stepping down from hardware development, which is something we talked about last week, is good news for Nintendo. It reflects on where he went wrong as a hardware maker and why he'll now be able to better focus his strengths and ultimately grant us better games for it. 
So do be sure to give that a read if you're interested in some of the more behind-the-scenes things about the way that uh, game and game console creation works at Nintendo and what it means for us. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week today. For those of you who are looking forward to a discussion, I'm sorry, but we'll have one that's two times better than usual for all of you next week, so eagerly await that. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it, especially if you have good things to say instead of bad ones. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to colin at gamnesia.com. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's colin at gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Microsoft, Sony, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. So thank you all so much for listening. We hope you have another great week, and we hope you will tune in next time with Jaren Moore, Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions. Awesome stuff. In the meantime, let's get back to the planning doc so I can see what I'm going to say. <laughs>